Hi, everybody. Welcome to this month's The Resilience Think Tank. It's the beginning of season three, which is amazing and exciting for me. And we're tackling a topic today that I've wanted to talk about for a long time because it's something that in my work, I see people struggle with and misunderstand a lot, as well as aspire towards. I'd like to introduce you first to Amira Martin, who creates vibrant, engaged communities. An innovator and a leader in the online hosting and community building industry, she reaches hundreds of thousands of people online and helps them live a more frugal, more fun, and more fulfilling life. Speaking of fun, Amira hosts the first official Disney Parks podcast. It's called Plan Disney Podcast. She's also been featured on USA Today, CNN, The Fab Life with Tyra Banks, The Today Show, and Good Morning America. Amira, how do you define boundaries in your work? I define boundaries as investing in love and trust of the process of whatever the job is or whatever your career is. And I think that's a little different than what most people may think of when it comes to boundaries, because they see boundaries as setting something that is solid, that is strict, that you don't bend to. But by setting a boundary, you're actually saying, I love what I do. I love the team that I'm a part of, or I love the team that I've created. And I trust that they will keep in mind what I'm saying is a boundary for me. Because when they accept my boundaries and honor them, it actually brings out the best in pretty much everyone in the team, especially for me. So I've noticed that the more that I give a boundary, especially when it comes to my career, the better I am about giving the content that they need or being a better partner and team member and everyone tends to enjoy the boundary and they honor it and they always bring it up before I even can bring it up. That's how I know that me investing that love and trust into giving them the boundary is actually making everything even more symbiotic. Okay. So if I'm understanding, you're saying that it's the love and trust that feeds the boundary as opposed to if you create good enough boundaries, you'll get love and trust. Exactly. Yes. It's, you have to put it out there with those two hand in hand. Like as you give the boundary, a lot of people are, it's hard to do that. It's hard to give a boundary. It really is. But when you think of it in the mindset of I am providing a way that someone can love me and can trust in me and the, the team and the community that we have built, then I need to give this boundary. This is a good thing. This is going to be a thing that helps us all grow. Awesome. Okay. Dr. Jen Hartstein, owner of Hartstein Psychologic Services, a group psychotherapy practice in New York City. Jen works with children, adolescents, and their families with a wide range of psychologic diagnoses. Dr. Jen is frequently asked to speak with companies about mental health, stress reduction, and neurodiversity, and is the author of Princess Recovery, a how-to guide for raising strong, empowered girls who can create their own happily ever after. She's also a regular contributor to a variety of media outlets, including having been on the Today Show this morning. Um, and, and the Today Show is actually where Jen and I met. Jen, how do you define boundaries in your work? So I think the way I define boundaries is to, you know, I liken it, the, the metaphor I use is we're a bowling alley and they're the bumpers on the bowling alley, right? So that I make clear what my own personal limits are. And I work with teenagers. They're going to text me at all hours of the night. Their parents are going to text me at all hours of the night. So I make clear like, hey, I'm available 
but here's what the limit is. So I, I make, I think it has to be a very spoken, clear, outward expectation. And part of that kind of almost in similar vein as what Amir is saying, but a little different in by setting that expectation, I protect myself and I'm able to be more available to you, right? It, you know, that boundary protects my burnout. So in my work where I work with some high risk clients or I work with very anxious, overwhelmed parents, I have to make sure that here's when I'm available and be available but protect my time so that I can actually be fully present when I am available. Just like it's the bumpers on the bowling alley. If the ball is going down, there's some wiggle room, but it stays in the lane. And I think that that helps kind of keep it clear for parents that I'll be flexible when needed, but this is the lane. And, and that helps everybody and models for a lot of people how to do that in their own lives, which I think is a double benefit. I think we're going to dive into this metaphor, and I'm really curious a little later in our conversation to hear about the pins at the, but anyway, okay. Okay. Dr. Varun Mahajan is a medical doctor and an entrepreneur and a community leader. He led Mahajan Therapeutics, which is a community mental health and addiction agency for seven years, tripled the firm's net revenue and the number of clinics in his portfolio before selling it. He's also a sought after leader. He's previously served on multiple boards at the invitation of the Ohio governor, including the Ohio Minority Health Commission. He continues to practice one day each week in Columbus, Ohio, where he lives with his wife and his three sons. Varun, how do you define boundaries in your work? Deb, great question. And uh, thanks for, for having me on. Um, <clears throat> I see boundaries as uh, a framework by which we all uh, navigate our personal, professional, fiscal lives um, it's a lens by which we make decisions and interact with folks. Um, oftentimes, boundaries can come into conflict when two different frameworks intersect, but um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's only a sort of bad thing if uh, it jeopardizes the outcome or, or the goal of any particular um, transaction. And so I like to think through uh, when navigating those types of, of conflicts by further defining the competing boundaries, creating expectations, communicating them uh, with the team, um, ensuring that the goals that we're trying to solve are, are clear and defined, and then doing what's in the best interest of the goal. Uh, but on the personal end, when I try to navigate my own, my own boundaries, um, the advice I give others uh, or best practices for myself have always been when there are when you're inheriting a complicated ecosystem, the simpler the ground rules and the guardrails that you create, or those bowling pin alleys, uh, the the the, uh, the sides, um, the the simpler those rules are that you can create uh, within your own framework, the better chance you have of navigating a complex and wide variety of uh, variables within your ecosystem. Um, and then the opposite is true. If you have a very simple ecosystem can create more complicated boundaries. Uh, and that's really just sort of how I, I think about it. Okay. All right. So Varun, I'm going to ask you my big main question for this topic. And the reason that I picked this topic for a resilience think tank is because resilience is the ability to navigate change. And, you know, when nothing's changing, either you've set your boundaries pretty clearly, meaning you're your guardrails or your bumpers in the alley. You know where you're headed, what you will do, what you won't do. Okay. But when you're navigating change, it can feel like I, I don't, I don't know where to put my boundaries. I don't even know what road I'm on. And so 
what strategies have you figured out in your work or in your life about where you put your focus and your professional skills? And I think for you, this is an especially good question because you're doing a lot of different things professionally at the same time. And I'm wondering, how do you figure out where to focus and what boundaries to put up to be more resilient, to get more of the life you want? Yeah, no, great, great follow-up question. Uh, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there about how to um, navigate that particular uh, you know, question. It all comes down to defining what those goals are, defining uh, what you're trying to accomplish professionally, socially, whatever it happens to be. Uh, if you define appropriately, everything else becomes a lot clearer. That trajectory thereafter um, is a lot more defined for you. And then you can I think the next step beyond just defining it is creating an ROI for those goals. What's the return on that investment look like, right? And then you're um, then able to allocate your resources appropriately, right? So if you're able to take the intersection of the goals, which ones you've prioritized, the ROI from those goals, and then allocate time, resources, et cetera, um, you're creating intentionality and structure that then obviates downstream costs to your energy, to your productivity, your fulfillment. And that's why you become more resilient. Can I put you on the spot? Can you give me a practical real world example? Sure. Of each um, of those steps, right? Of like, you define your goal. I'm not, I, I always thought you like, guess what the ROI is gonna be. So I'm interested in how you, how you choose ROI and then how you figure out where you're gonna allocate your energy or your productivity. Right. So I'll give you a very simple uh, example. Please, uh, that would help me. <laughs> my, 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 my goal is to run a fiscally responsible company. Okay. Okay. And, you know, you can stratify those goals however you want, but the general goal is to be fiscally responsible. Well, once you decide you want to do that, measure it against all the other goals you have for that company. Where does that prioritize? Is it within the top 10% or is it in the bottom 10%? Right. If it's and in the top, the option prioritize or where does being fiscally responsible? So I put fiscally responsible yeah. as my top goal. So exactly. then when an option like, Hey, Varun, I want to sell you this new product, or I want you to buy this new service comes up, then you figure out where it fits in terms of being fiscally responsible. Well, so um, as soon as you know, where it's prioritized amongst all the goals for your company, right. And most people would put fiscal responsibility at the top. You can then allocate the appropriate amount of time and resources to that. You can say, okay, I got a budget of 100K and I'm going to take 20% of that and allocate it to this, to this goal. Um, and you might have a marketing goal and that might be really, really small. I'm going to allocate $5,000 to it. The same thing goes with your time and energy. And what I like to think about is offloading the things that drain you my time and energy or are deprioritized on that list, off, uh, you know, offloading it to someone else that can do it or just spending less time doing it. And that way I've intentionally structured um, the iteration of my time spend um, strategy. And I create a lot more energy, I'm more productive and I'm more fulfilled. So you're budgeting your priorities. You're, you have an energy budget as a, a like, I don't mean as opposed to, but very much like you might have a financial budget. I got X amount of money. Where am I going to put it? You're saying I have X amount of time and energy and I want where I put it. I want what my to-do list to actually match my priorities. That's right. I want a clean house, 
but uh, it it doesn't fill my bucket up to clean it twice a week or once a week, right? So I, I find a service that can help me do that. That's a very simple analogy to a cross uh, application uh, for maybe a broader uh, um, strategy or, or, or you know thinking about something different. Yeah, that helps me a lot. Okay, Amira, in your thinking about, and I, I really, I, I keep thinking about what you said about out of trust and love, you say, hey, these are the boundaries to your team, to a company that you're working with, providing a service for, whatever it is that it's coming from a place of, we're all gonna be more successful because we're having this conversation. What are some strategies that you've used to figure out what, what those boundaries are gonna be at the beginning of a project, for example, where you're gonna put your focus and your skills? I. I set boundaries every year. So this is something that I do at the beginning of every year. I actually call it planning your year in a day. So my husband and I sit down for about six hours at the very, very beginning of the year. And we plug in everything that's important to us for that upcoming year. Every single thing, even though we may already know that it's coming birthdays, anniversaries, uh, summer camp, whatever it is, it gets plugged in. So that helps me to be confident in setting the boundary for anything that does not have to do with these four walls that I live in and the people inside of the four walls. For me, it's always about that little that foundation first. And then I'm able to say to any company, any brand, no matter how big it is, listen, on this day that you're asking for, I'm unavailable. I don't have to tell them why. I just say I'm unavailable on these days. How about, and then I can look at my own calendar and give them an alternate uh, set of, of timetables or an alternate day that we can do the interview. Uh, it, it helps when you center yourself and those who mean something to you first, then it's very, it's, I don't wanna say easy, it's simple to give the boundary to someone who is not involved in your personal life. And I think a lot of us get caught in that. We, uh, there's so many people who are people pleasers uh, and we just, we see the opportunity come in. We see that that brand is excited or someone wants to partner with us for our business. And we get so excited to have that connection with that person that we tend to neglect the things that matter to us. They just pop out of our minds. But if you set the boundary and you make an intention of setting the boundary, whether it's a couple hours every year, or you do it once a week and you say, this is when I'm available for the upcoming week, it makes it even simpler to say, I am unavailable here, but here's what I would love to do. I still wanna work with you. I still believe this is gonna be a good partnership. This is what I can offer. And you can offer it with joy in your heart because you know that once you give them that particular time, you will be fully invested and focused. So that's a great, really concrete way of thinking about calendaring boundaries, right? Time-centered boundaries. And I wondered, are there any other ways in which you think of boundaries like um, the topics that you'll talk about, right? If a brand that you've maybe wanted to work with comes to you and they say, hey, we'd like you to do a campaign about this. Do you have a litmus test just like you do for your own calendar? Do you have a litmus test that you put topics or brand or um, campaigns through to make sure that you're on brand? Absolutely. So we have in, in this space, in this content creator space, uh, it's important to have silos. We call them silos. So you need to know what your main topics are. They're usually around maybe three to six main topics. And if something doesn't fit into the silo, 
you have to reevaluate if that's going to be important to you and your community, because your community has come to you because of those things, those topics, those silos that you talk about. So if a brand is coming and saying uh, they want me to talk about um, wearing flip-flops, which doesn't really work. <laughs> a lot of the time where I live, I'm also in Columbus, Vermont. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and I, I'm, I have four seasons, so it makes no sense for me to talk about that when we can only, you know, Flip-flops enjoy that. 365 maybe. days right. a year is not your brand. You want to talk snowshoes, snow boots? Yes, I'm your girl. But that that you have to have those types of silos. Think about the things that you've already brought people in to to speak to you about your community speaks back to you uh and then you tell the brands listen this is the boundary that i'm setting i know you really may want someone who looks like me or has a demographic but the topic does not fit and does not fit into my silo and that immediately tells a brand okay this person is actually about their business either they will pivot or they'll come back to you when it fits inside of your silo and And this is really useful to translate this to corporate America. If somebody is running a department and they're great, they're just friendly and easy to work with and everybody in the company loves them and they've done a great job, they may find leadership coming to them and saying, hey, could you take on this other task? You know, for example, could your department take on a sunshine fund for everybody in the office, keep track of when everybody's birthdays are and do a little thing every month for birthdays? And they're like, I run the finance department and I have amazing people and that we're really good at what we do and we're interested in taking on new projects, but this isn't in our lane. This isn't in our bowling out, our bowling lane. And <laughs> if I have to go back to my department and say, we're so good at what we do that we got this other assignment that really none of us are trained for, isn't in our zone of genius, just because people like us, um, that can be very difficult and it can be very difficult to say, hey, here are the things we're great at that we are more than happy to take on. And if you're looking for us to do more, we have some ideas, that thing doesn't belong to us. Mm -hmm. So Jen, in your work, (laughs) how have you, because you run the the Heartstein Psychologic, you speak on TV, you have written a book and you work with companies and it's all related, but it's not all the same. And because part of your job is helping family life be more peaceful and smoother, and because a lot of your work is in understanding why people do what they do and how to help them do what they mean to do, I would imagine that you get requests from people all the time that are not your bowling lane, might not even be in the entire activity center that you're located your bowling lane inside of. (laughs) So but but might be something you were really interested in or sounded very cool to you. How do you decide where to put your focus and your professional skills? It's a it's an important question. And, and, you know, when we provide therapy, one of the things we talk about is like when people come to us, they might want Chinese food and we are an Italian restaurant. Right. So like if we can't provide to them what they want, we will refer them to the Chinese restaurant because we're going to serve them Italian food. Right. So like I think. What, what I'm hearing kind of everyone say is it really starts with me as the individual. So I think some of that is where am I dropping my own anchor and kind of stopping and saying, hey, like, what does this mean? What do I think? Does this fit in my wheelhouse? Does this not? And and I think 
we do have to have that flexibility. Sometimes like I love the idea of sitting down and like, what are my non-negotiable boundaries? Like those are so important this day, you know, this thing, I have this trip, I have this important birthday. Those are like the non-negotiables, but where is there some flexibility? Like even like kind of my assertive lane of I'll always consider it, but establishing that boundary and creating that space for myself or saying, you know, I just can't take on that project or this is a topic I just don't feel comfortable talking about on TV. I'll introduce you to somebody else. And I do have some of those hard and fast things that I won't do. And because I have fingers in so many different pots, it kind of requires shifting and having some flexibility depending on what that looks like. But I think ultimately it's hitting pause, doing a little self-reflection, what works, what doesn't, and then moving forward. And sometimes that might mean, you know, kind of taking it three steps down the road, learning more, and then being like, hey, I'm really sorry, but this isn't going to work. It's going to be too much time. It's going to be too much for me. I'm not going to give you what you need. And I think we have this myth that setting that limit is very selfish. And I think we are our best person, the more expectations and boundaries we create, as long as there has some as there's some movement in there. If they're all non-negotiable, we're going to kind of run into some trouble, but, and I, you know, isolation, which isn't so great. But I think if we have that flexibility, it opens us up for other opportunities. I have a question for you. I have a question for you based on that. But before I ask that, I'd like to ask everybody who's with us today to not only put your questions in the chat, but I have a question for all of you. Where's your skepticism around this? As you're listening to this conversation, where are you saying, yeah, but what's hard? about setting limits and boxing yourself in in any way, you know, and, and saying anything you won't do. And I'll start with a question um, for you, Jen, and really, it, it, Amira, Vern, if you want to jump into, I'm interested. Should an apology be part of setting a boundary? No. Not ever? <laughs> that was a pretty strong um, boundary. No. Like almost, um, almost never is what I'm hearing? Almost never? No. Acknowledgement of someone else's feeling is not an apology. Despite the fact that we use I'm sorry frequently to state that state, right? It's kind of an apology, non-apology. So if you said, hey, Jen, can you do this? And I was like, hey, Deb, I'm really sorry. I'm unavailable. That's acknowledgement of the fact that I might disappoint you, right? And I don't want to disappoint you. Our relationship matters. And I want to make sure, you know, and if I could be available, I'll be available, right? Like, but the truth is, is that I am entitled to create the space I need. And I am, I, I am not responsible for how you feel about it. But we all are people-pleasing, we not all are, many of us suffer from the people-pleasing disease. Um, and that makes us want to like make it okay, because I don't want you to be upset with me, and I don't want you to be disappointed, and and I want us to be okay, but I'm not really responsible for how you feel. So, so if it's like, listen, if I do some really big thing, and I hurt your feelings, or I knock down some big wall that you put up, and I really, well, you really surprised me because you've always said yes to this request in the past. And now you've decided it's not it doesn't align not with working. your priorities anymore. Right. So I want to acknowledge that that has an impact on you. And and I would argue, let's shift from I'm sorry to saying, hey, thank you for understanding. Which allows me to maintain some power and empower whether I understand or not. But yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Thank you for your flexibility. Thank you for understanding. Thank you for accepting what I'm saying. You don't. And even if you don't have if you aren't on the surface, ultimately, you don't really have much of a choice. Right. But if I'm constantly tripping over an apology and saying, I'm sorry, like I'm handing over my power, which then makes me question my boundary, which maybe then I'm going to loosen my boundary. And maybe now makes I'm going to be resentful. question your boundary. Now I could maybe use guilt. 
Varun, could you represent all guys in this conversation <laughs> and tell me if you think this is a struggle as much for men? This, like, should I apologize for saying what I will and won't do? Well, I think men probably talk about, uh, they probably process the same things as we all do, but uh, frequently are, are more silent about it or carry it in a different way. Uh, I mean, just back to the the fundamental question of whether you say no, you say sorry or not. Uh, I think it, it requires uh, one step prior to that. And, and it's the acknowledgement that uh, boundaries can coexist and boundaries are again, a framework by which someone sees the world. And so by acknowledging that and understanding that oftentimes boundaries do com compete with one another, if you can understand the goal by which the boundary was made, incepted, and then transacted. So, you know, if you have to say no because of a prior commitment, well, if one can understand that perspective and that's clearly communicated, um, I think it resolves the conflict and, you know, you hopefully don't get to the point of saying sorry. Um, it's really just a, um, a thoughtful uh, exercise in, in uh, empathy and um, transactional analysis. Yeah, that makes sense. So, okay, we're going to move to some of the things that people in the room want to talk about. And we've got a couple of questions. I want to start with Chris, because he just mentioned this in reaction to the conversation we're having right this second. He says, there are goal adjacent opportunities that might be outside our set boundaries, but they can further our goals by exposing us to new perspectives. And it can be difficult to discern which bend, which when to bend and which one to take. In my own work, Every time I get an opportunity or I have an idea in the shower about an, about an opportunity to try to create or pursue, uh, I pass it through the first litmus test of, do I think this could help create a more resilient society? That's my mission mm -hmm. in my work is, could we create a more resilient society? So that's my first one. But the truth is, as you might imagine, that, that's not a net with very tight holes. Right. There's a lot that passes through that net of like, sure, that could make a more resilient society. And so it's like, um, you know, when you if you've ever if you've ever uh, submitted to speak at a conference that has a theme, you look at that theme and you're like, I can make my talk work with that theme. It's not it doesn't give me it's not the same as saying, well, I want to help people wear the soles of their shoes out less. So I will only do things that helps them wear the soles of their shoes out less. That's a much, much more tight net. But when you have, and and I have to say, Chris, I'm, I'm sort of inferring your question from this because your point is well taken. When something seems goal adjacent to you and you're thinking, well, I've also been told to get out of my comfort zone and try something new. And maybe this is the thing that leads me towards a goal I have in a way I hadn't predicted. Amira, I know the online world of influencing and brands, and that can happen, right? You can, you can say yes to something that seems a little bit outside the usual and discover a world of opportunity within it. Do you have any secondary questions you ask yourself besides the two you've told us about, which are, do these fit within my time constraints? And is this something my community would be looking for from me? Um, do you have any secondary questions you ask yourself to see if you're maybe missing out on something that could benefit your whole community? I don't. Believe it or not, I don't. And I love that Chris said that. And I feel like the answer was in the question, because if you're using goal adjacent, to talk about the opportunity, then you're already suspecting that it might actually help you move forward. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Just, but, just using that, using that phrase. Uh, as soon as I read it, I was like, that was your answer right there. <laughs> yeah. You're totally <laughs> right. Using that. Yeah. Yeah. You're totally right. So maybe that secondary litmus test is, all right, it seems like a no, but there's something that I keep coming back to it in my mind. Is there something goal adjacent about this? Yeah. I think it's how you're describing the opportunity. If you're finding that you're, you are waxing poetic about it, even though it does not fit, you're like, oh my goodness, this is going to be great. And I'm thinking of ideas. And this, if you're finding the excitement coming within you and you can visually, you can visualize it connecting. It may not be linear. It may be side to side connection, but if you are feeling like you're viscerally feeling the excitement of it, then you know that this is something you should at least explore. I love that Jen said we may reach a certain level, even if we say yes, and it's maybe two or three levels down the line. And we're like, oh, maybe this doesn't fit. But that initial response gave you the opportunity to take those two or three levels. And I'm sure you learned something. Someone, the, per- the people that you're partnering with may have learned something, that team. So sometimes the yes is just so you can take the steps. So well, what's wrong with having a it, conversation? Right. Like if it's goal adjacent, like, can you have a 20 minute conversation to learn more to see if it maybe isn't actually as goal adjacent? Maybe it's more goal aligned. Like I'm kind of of the idea, like I can always have a cup of coffee or a quick phone call or not always. I lie. Um, I'm if it fits in my schedule, I will make it happen. Right. But like, you know, so many interesting ideas start with that initial. I was thinking and you might be the right person. And what do you think? Can we have a conversation? And so sometimes it's just like, let me learn more. And in that learning more, you know, that initial pitch always looks great. I mean, I'm sure we've all had that initial pitch where we're like, I can do that. That sounds awesome. That sounds super fun. Let's do it. All right. Right. Like, and then when you learn more, you're like, no, mm going to take way too much time. You want way too much of my brain space. I barely have time to like, you know, eat dinner. So like, no, but I think, I think, learning more. I think those goal adjacent opportunities are always a learning opportunity. And that's how I kind of look at that is like, how do I learn? What can I learn? And I, maybe I'm learning the answer is no. And no is okay. Well, I would also say that if it's goal adjacent, then you've already identified as a quasi goal. So it doesn't fit Mm -hmm. into that box of you don't know what you don't know, right? It is maybe something, you know, Um, And it may also fit under a goal of further exposure. It may not be, you know, your immediate goal, but you may have created a goal earlier in the year that you want to create more exposure pinpoints uh, from which to, uh, you know, grow and uh, increase your, uh, uh, your success in any, any particular field. So, you know, while it may not necessarily be a um, defined goal that you have, uh, it shouldn't be discounted as uh, something that's worthwhile and carries value. And then the, uh, a supplement to that, I would also uh, underscore the value of being prepared uh, because opportunities when or success is when opportunity means pre- preparation, right? So if you can cultivate opportunities predicated on um, a prior expectation or or research or or preparation, uh, then you're much more likely to capture goal adjacent or um, uh, goal aligned uh, opportunities. Vern, I want to ask you a question because I know from your LinkedIn profile that you've advised some boards and companies, and you just mentioned being involved in a bunch of different initiatives at the moment. In business, and Patty asked this question in general, but I'd really like to ask it specifically in business and in leadership. When do you see people having trouble setting and keeping good boundaries, and why do you think it is? Uh, I, I keep coming back to 
ensuring that you've defined something appropriately. But so, yeah, there's that definition component. Know what those goals are, knows what, know, know, know what those priorities are, and they have to be very specific and they have to be very measurable. Uh, but moreover, I often see boards expending energy to solve something, either one, they haven't defined, or two, that they can't change. And so in medicine, we often say, um, don't treat something if it won't change the outcome, right? And I see, uh, and it's not relegated specifically to boards. Uh, this is ubiquitous across business behavior. But uh, if we can obviate that type of miscalculation, uh, we're oftentimes better set up for success. A boundary I set with my medical students that I learned when I was in med school is don't do a test if it's not going to change your management, right? Mm -hmm. So you're just spending money to, and, and for your own intellectual curiosity, that's not our role as physicians. Jen, in your work mm -hmm. with families who are trying to navigate the business that they own and the teenagers that they have at home who are busy exploring the world and having their own experiences and things. Since most people who are, are listening to this or involved with us in this conversation are thinking from the point of view of parents and not from the point of view of the teens themselves, mm -hmm. where do you see adults struggle to set and keep good boundaries either in work or in their family life? Um, Everywhere. I mean, and I think there's two things. <laughs> While saying no is one of the most important things we can do, right? It teaches limits. It teaches kind of where that kind of end is. I think many of us are afraid to say no because we are a little bit afraid of the emotional reactivity. And I think that's what happens. Like you see that less, not you don't not see it, but you see that less in business than you might see with a parent and a kid, right? Parent says no. And then this kid has this explosion. And in order to alleviate everybody's discomfort, that boundary goes away and all of a sudden I'm saying yes. And so that is a problem because now we're not really teaching any sort of self-soothe emotion management stuff. And we are stuck in this cycle of continuing to kind of give in. And, and instead of being like, hey, I can validate how you feel that this really stinks that I'm saying no to you and I'm still saying no to you. Both those things can be true. Everybody kind of learns how to navigate that. And it's hard, right? Or how do I like work to earn more from you by doing the right things in the house? And what are those expectations? But what I see happen with parents is that um, kind of the meter moves constantly. That line is not static. It's like, oh, well, you kind of did this, so I'll give you what you wanted. Oh, but wait, no, I'm going to be too strict and you have to do more. And then everybody's just confused and everybody's dysregulated and emotional. And that becomes really hard. And on the flip side of that, I have to teach young people the idea of radical acceptance, right? This idea that it is what it is. Your parent is who they are. And how do you work within the confines of what that is? And I think kind of to, I was thinking about this while Varun was talking of the whole idea of like, here's where we are. Here's what we've got. If I can't change it and I can't kind of change how I think about it because I'm just like frustrated all the time, like how do I just accept it as it is? And I think sometimes we run into that in every aspect of our life, you know, like it's freezing cold outside. I have to wear a coat. Like, okay, I don't like it, but I don't live in Florida. I live in New York City and it's six degrees. Not today. Luckily, it felt downright me. But like when it's that cold, what do I do? I have to do what works. And I think that those things are the things that families forget about so that it creates a ton of conflict and everybody's left resentful and frustrated or feeling like they're giving in all the time. And, and that doesn't promote 
resilience, right? That just promotes conflict. And that's hard. The issue with boundaries that I hear you talking about is not actually the deciding on or setting of a boundary in this particular case. It's the reaction to the reaction Mm -hmm. of the boundaries. And a, a wise person said to me a long time ago, you only have to repeat your boundary to someone who isn't respecting it. Correct. And Amira, to your point from the beginning of our conversation, if you find a way to express your boundary that's based in love and trust, right, but is also set, then that yes is that yes, and that not on that day is not on that day. And you don't have to have an opinion about their reaction to it. That's a lot harder when it's someone we don't share. You know, when we it's a lot harder when we share a car ride or a dinner table or a bed with that person for sure. But often our work is just as crucial to our resources and our well-being as our home. I've heard you all say so many brilliant things in this conversation. I'd like to highlight a few. One is, Varun, I, I very much appreciate and will take with me this idea of budgeting as it has to do with energy, having an energy budget that is quantitative and not just qualitative. We've spent all this time talking about boundaries. And Jen, it wasn't until like minute 40 that you said saying no, because that's only one way that we might express Mm -hmm. a boundary. There are a lot of ways that we talk about boundaries that aren't about saying no. As a matter of fact, my kids get more upset about the yeses often and my team get more get you know get more bothered by the boundaries I set with yes sometimes than with no. Boundaries are not saying no, from what I've understood from this conversation, boundaries are about, to your point for defining your goals, really actually knowing what they are, and then figuring out what best aligns with those goals. You know, Amira, you talked about your goals to make sure that the most important is what happens in your four walls with the people who live there and for your community that you've created, that you keep the promises you've made to those two groups of people. And so in this way, if we can define boundaries as aligning our yeses with our actual priorities, then we've learned some really important things. And one of the things that I'm going to take away from this, and I think is really important from a neuroscience standpoint, is setting boundaries by beginning. Jen and Amira, in your conversation, you really talked about starting with curiosity. So if something seems to you like you are not 100% sure that falls on my firstborn's birthday, or that is during a vacation I'm gonna take, or I have made a commitment to another department in my company or to another project or to my people or to a customer. Um, those are those are clearly no's, but that if anything is either maybe goal adjacent or maybe possible, that flexibility, Jen, that you talked about, your bumpers aren't made of steel, they're made of like inflatable plastic, right? So they mm-hmm. might have a little flex, is, to start with curiosity, could this be within my boundaries? Could this be useful and helpful? Varun, you said you said something that um, about maybe I decided earlier in the year that one of my goals was more exposure for certain points of my work. And so maybe what I see here is not a project I would have thought of, but an opportunity that I'm actually prepared to take advantage of. So starting with a few non-negotiables. And I think a lot of people, Amir, are going to take away your planning a year in a day. And I think you have some resources about that available to people. So we'll include those in the, the notes underneath this on YouTube and Spotify. And then once you know your definite 
firm guardrails. Like for Jen with Jen with the bowling alley, I would say not the not the gutters or the bumpers, but the outside of the alley. I have mm-hmm. occasion because I'm a terrible bowler, thrown a ball that went into someone else's actual lane, right? So sure. when you know what your lane is, then if you're not sure, it's not because you're not clear about what you want. It's not because you're not strong enough to say what you need or what you've decided. It's because you're going to start with curiosity and explore it a little bit and then decide if this matches up with your priorities. All of that, I think, is really helpful and really counteracts a lot of the misinformation, Vern, that you mentioned that exists in the world about setting boundaries and just knowing what to say no to and sticking with it. And it doesn't matter how anybody else feels. The last thing I want to mention is that you all pointed out having a little bit, although you didn't use this exact word, a little bit of empathy for people that they are disappointed and it's okay for their feelings to matter. And it's okay for their feelings to not change your mind. Before we're done, I'd like to ask each of you a really what I think of as kind of delightful question. And one of the ways that we've talked to every episode of the think tank about building resilience is making sure that there's some joy. So could you, and Jen, I'm going to start with you. Could you tell me a way that you use boundaries to make sure that you have space for joy in your life? Sure. I th- I am a, a big believer that boundaries are not selfish, right? They are part of our self-care routine. So um, a couple things. One is I um, love to move my body and, and exercise and maybe with friends or whatever. So one of the ways that I really do that is create kind of a, my movement community where like I might walk twice a week with different friends or I go to a class or something. And that that piece starts me off most days like better energized, better energy, whatever. And I think that's one way that I really protect my joy. And it sounds like a lot of people are like movements a slog, but for me, it's like the thing that gets my, I don't drink caffeine, believe it or not. And like, it's the thing that gets me going. Um, Okay. You actually like it. I believe I do. I know it's crazy. People think I'm nuts, but I do. And, and it makes, it makes it, we know that it changes the endorphins in your body. Right. So we like, that's one thing. And I really engage in things I love to do concerts, theater, and those are protected times for me. I make sure that I like go to a concert I want to see or I get that ticket for the show because those are things I just love. And and you can't talk to me during those times, right? My phone is off. So it it really what? allows... I know, There's shocking. Off button? Okay. There is a do not disturb button and that's very helpful for me. Awesome. Bruin, how about you? Uh, well, just assuming that joy is defined as happiness and not simply the emotion... Um, I like to think about it in a few different ways. Uh, I simply try to sincerely want less. Um, and thus I feel like I have more. Um, and so that little equation for me, um, so boundaries around your sort of grasping, like, what am I trying for? What do I want? That's interesting. Yeah. Sort of the numerator denominator, um, of, you know, your have to want ratio. Um, and then I think, the second component is um, I try to find happiness and joy in uh, the the small things um, because oftentimes if you simply wait for the big moments of joy, try to schedule it, um, they may not meet your expectations. Uh, so finding happiness in the small things, you know, smells, sights, tastes, sounds, those types of things um, creates an endless repository um, and uh, revenue stream of happiness that um, I have certainly found success with. 
That's awesome. Revenue stream of happiness. Fantastic. Yeah. Amira, how do you use those boundaries that you talked about time and otherwise to find joy? I like to say, uh, take joy seriously. If you think of it as something that is definitely required in your life and you allow yourself opportunities to find joy in whatever you're doing or something that you may have to do, uh, it, it's a way that you can kind of intertwine it and in just about anything that, that you're able to do. I mean, like I said, I plan my year and you can't plan joy. <laughs> I mean, we just said it is an emotion. It's, you know, it's symbiotic to happiness, but if you're able to say, all right, I love doing this thing. Just like Jen said, she goes to the theater. I know there are certain things that literally bring me joy and they may not be things that are on a long list on Pinterest that you can pen and save for later, but it may be something that is very unique to me. So I make sure that I take that seriously. So I love to, I'm a gamer. I love to play video games. So I, I literally just did that last night. I, I sat down and I said, you haven't brought that joy in weeks. So I was serious about it. And I gave myself 15 minutes just to sit and do the thing that I love. So if you take it seriously, you'll, you'll keep it at top of mind. And it'll be something that you kind of aspire to make sure that you are, have the opportunities to do. And from that joy, you're able to focus more. You're able to really see, you know, something that, that may take you to the next level in your business. Joy is so important. So if you take joy seriously, you'll find that that's a domino effect for all the other things that you may be wanting to uh, bring into your life. I like that. We're going to end on that. Take joy seriously. Have a wonderful day, everybody. And thank you so much for joining us.